As for us, we have uh, the ninth chapter of the book of Proverbs. And as we, as we get to the end of uh, this long lecture, which is Proverbs 1 through 9, um, it can feel a little repetitive. Uh, here's wisdom, here's folly. Wisdom good, folly bad. <laughs> don't do wisdom. Uh, or don't do folly, do wisdom, right? Um, but if you remember that it is a lecture, a lesson from a father to a son, you might think, yeah, those lectures get repetitive. This is why you were very tempted to, or maybe you did, roll your eyes when you go, here comes the lecture. A different lecture, a brand new lecture? Probably not. Probably a lecture you can repeat. You can finish, this, you can finish some of your dad's sentences because he says and emphasizes the same things over and over. You kind of regret that a little bit when you're a kid and you roll your eyes and then eventually you grow up and you realize the reason why it was emphasized over and over is because I wasn't learning it yet. <laughs> and so the, the author uh, here recognizes his son needs to live this life in a way that uh, deals with the least amount of damage. Uh, he wants his son to live a life of blessing. And so even though this is captured, this truth is captured in a lecture between a father and a son, it's not specific to fathers and sons, but to anyone who follows the Lord, the blessed person of Psalm 1, the worshiper, the believer. Uh, there's wisdom calling over and over, saying a lot of the same things over and over. And if you don't listen to it, and oftentimes the repetition of the same themes over and over, just like your parents' lecture that was the same things over and over, you're tempted to tune it out because of that repetition. But God's like, not like, I'm going to keep coming up with new stuff so that you can pay attention. It's, I'm going, to, I'm going to emphasize the same things over and over because this stuff will save you. This stuff will save you. Some of you come from family backgrounds with tragic consequences that people are dealing with in their lives. I don't want to speak speak for my wife totally because we didn't confer on this, but it occurs to me as I'm preparing this that our, our family is very blessed. And the blessings that we enjoy as a family, everyone in our family, our extended family, doesn't experience. I wonder if sometimes we're almost resented for that. Well, you guys have all this privilege. It was all those decisions along the way, man. You listen to folly, we listen to wisdom. That doesn't make us better than anybody else, but God's wisdom calls. When you listen, there's blessing. When you don't listen, there's damage and destruction and ultimately death. There is privilege. It's privilege that God doles out when you listen to his wisdom. What's amazing is you don't have to be a genius. You don't need degrees. You don't need to go to seminary. These are very simple things but they run contrary to your baser instincts that don't want to do the good thing. They want to do the easy thing. And so as we look at this sort of closing, I don't want to say closing argument, but closing uh, this conclusion of the lecture, we find that in chapter nine. And we'll just look first at the first six verses where wisdom calls again. Here's what wisdom is like. Here's the profile of true wisdom. Not the wisdom of your friends, not the wisdom necessarily of your parents, because some of us, our parents aren't wise all the time, or maybe we have unwise parents. And not the wisdom that is necessarily your instinct. Wisdom kind of stands outside of us and calls us, 
So we can't look inward for wisdom. Wisdom is calling from someplace else, and we need to go to it, see? And as we see wisdom's um, call, we're going to see five aspects of this authentic call, the real deal. And those five aspects, I'm going to capture them in five H's, five H words, just to kind of help us track with what's happening here. And you'll see why that's important in a moment. But the first one is wisdom builds a house. Or maybe that H could be hospitality. Wisdom is asking you to come in and enjoy her. To come in and enjoy all of her benefits. Verse 1, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Seven, the number of perfection. This is also, not to take it literally, but this is like a big house. <laughs> seven pillars to hold up all this weight. And she slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. So... Think of wisdom saying, come on in, come on in. Ah, you don't have to take your shoes off. Oh, come on, come sit at the table. Oh, I've got wine. I've got, you know, I've been working on this all day for you, for your benefit. All you have to do is come in. You don't have to build your own house. You don't have to figure out, you don't have to slaughter your own beast. Come over here and gain wisdom from me. Our role in it is so passive and receptive. We, we receive wisdom. We, 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 we. Take up its call and its invitation. So wisdom builds a house. There's the first H. The second H is she calls from the high places. Got that one straight out of the text, right? She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Now, when I looked at the commentaries, I thought I'd get an easy answer for what does it mean that she calls from the highest places, and I didn't really get an easy answer. So let's just give it the, the most generic uh explanation that we can so that we don't press too far but high places important low places bad right throughout scripture and in general um you know if you're living in a, in a high rise you want the penthouse not not the mail room right she calls from the highest places she's prominent she's important look look at where she's at and she's inviting you up to these high places one commentator said the highest place would be the place for the temple in the city this is the place of highest importance. So she is prominent in inviting you from the highest places, call, sending her women out to call you, to go get you from your the street that you're on, the alleys that you're in, the low places that you're in, to come on up. Come on up to this high place of wisdom. So she's got this house, or this, she's showing her hospitality. She calls from the high places, and she offers help in verse 4. Not whoever's wise, not whoever's figured things out, but those who need help. The simple. And again, simple in the Proverbs doesn't mean, I live a simple life. You know, um, uh, I don't have many things. And I, I just wear four outfits every month. You know, I don't know. But th this whole simple movement, it means foolish, uh, lacking wisdom. Let's be honest. Let's be blunt. Stupid. It's the opposite of wise, doing the dumb thing. And so she's not spurning that person. She's saying, I know you lack wisdom. That's what I'm offering you. Come on in. Come on up. I'm going to offer you the help that you need. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. In other words, to fix your simpleness, your foolishness. She calls from his house. She calls from high places. She offers help. And she appeals to the hungry. 
To him who lacks sense, she says, verse 5, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. I am offering this meal to satisfy you, this meal to satiate you. I know you're hungry. This is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If the Lord is not my shepherd, I'm constantly in want. And then what transpires in that psalm? The table is spread, food is served. It's, it's a, an image of satisfaction rather than desperation, uh, hopelessness. And that's why the fifth H is hope. Verse six, what is the effect of the meal? Leave your simple ways, leave your foolish ways and live and walk in the way of insight. I will give you life. You will live and you'll continue to walk in my wisdom, in the insight that I give you. You'll continue to walk and, and live in it. So it's this promise of hope. So she has this house. She calls from the high places. She offers help. She appeals to the hungry. And that, that meal that she offers is a meal that offers hope. Now this looks good. None of us in our right mind would go, nah, I love the low places. Nah, I'd rather starve. We don't, we don't spurn wisdom for no meals. We spurn wisdom for a different meal. It's not that we don't want wisdom. It's that we go, mm, is that really wisdom? I think this sounds wise. We want wisdom. We just get duped into thinking this other thing that actually is folly is wise. So what I want you to see in this passage is how it, it's kind of like uh, it has a mirror image on the two ends of it. It's like a sandwich, two pieces of bread meet in the middle. We've seen this before, like in the Gospel of Mark and other places. Some of your Bibles even section it off this way, so you can just look down and see it. One through six is a section, seven through 12 is a section, and then 13 to 18 is a section. Some of your Bibles don't have that. Some do. Um, it's okay. It takes time to see it. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to jump down to the other piece of bread, which is the opposite five H's of what we just saw in the six verses. And what the author is showing here is there's a different call coming that looks the same, sounds the same, offers the same stuff, tempts you to think that it's really the same person that we saw in the first six verses. It's close, but opposite. Check it out in 13 to the end of the chapter. We see the five H's there. Folly has a house, verse 13 to 14a. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. Now, it doesn't say she constructed it. It doesn't say seven pillars. So you see how there's some differences there. Wisdom, is wisdom calling quietly? Probably not. But when you say folly is loud, we think of, she, she's a, this person's a loud person. That's normally not a compliment. You're just kind of like, calm down, you know. So it's not a beautiful picture, but it's similar. She calls. She has a house. What's the difference? She doesn't know anything. Come in. I've got stuff. It's later you find out you don't really have stuff. That's because she doesn't know anything. So she's got a house. She seems like maybe she's being hospitable because she sits at the door of the house calling. But she also calls from the high places. 
You see that in the second part of 14? She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. It would be obvious if she were in the low places, tattered clothing, missing teeth, scratching herself like, hey, come on, I have stuff to offer. No, no, thank you. But wait a minute, she's got expensive clothing. She's in a high place. She looks successful. Why would I bend and twist my life to conform to the call of wisdom, woman wisdom, when Lady Folly's like, ah, come on in. Seems like an invitation. It seems easy. Seems like she has things together. So she has a house. She calls from high places. Notice another difference. She doesn't have any women to send out to the towns. Lady Wisdom sends her women out to call. This She's alone. So it's close, but opposite. Then you see that she also offers help. Look at verse 16 and compare it with verse 4. It's exactly the same call. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here, word for word. It's the same call. So it's not like folly is going, hey, simpleness is good. Just stay stupid like me and let's enjoy our stupidity together. No, it's we do need wisdom, but this is what's wise. Take it. No one's looking. That's what's wise. The idiot is the one who obeys even when no one's looking. It's right there. Take it. It's wise to take it. Don't you have a family to feed? Don't you have people that depend on you? You have the opportunity right there. And you know what? The person that owns it that's not looking right now is a jerk. So it's pitching folly as something that's wise to do with the exact same call that wisdom offers. Again, it's close. But when you look deeper, it's opposite. She appeals to the hungry. And to him who lacks sense, same audience, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. She has a meal. But notice some of the differences. It's stolen water. And she's saying the stolen water is sweet. The thing that someone else is going to tell you is, is bitter, it's not. It's sweet. It's actually enjoyable. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. The things you do in secret, the things that you do when no one's watching, the things you do when it's dark, the things you do when no one's tracking you, that's a pleasant meal to eat. I want you to notice a couple differences in the meal. Not just the fact that the water or the drink is stolen and that the bread is, not, is bread that you're not supposed to be having. You think of the adultery theme that's running through the first nine chapters. That expands to the things that you're not supposed to do that betray your Lord. That's like adultery. That's why adultery is such a big theme in these chapters. It's what you're not supposed to be eating. And you eat it in secret. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Those are obvious differences. But I want you to see that wine turned into water from the first meal. Wisdom offered wine. And bread. Folly just has water. I know some of us were like, well, wasn't water better because alcohol? This is not about alcohol. This is about which is more expensive, which is more choice, which is richer. The wine. Does everybody have wine in this time? No, not everybody has access to a vineyard. Water, yeah, anybody has that. It's a cheaper meal. It's a counterfeit meal. 
It's a fake. It's still a meal, but it's fake. It's not the real deal. Also, and this is just a small thing, but the author reverses it where the meal that we see in the first six verses is bread, then wine. And then in verse 17, it's the drink, then bread. It's reversed. It's switched because it's opposite. It's close, but it's opposite. It will kill you. It's the wrong thing. It's tricky. It looks like it, but it's not it. I hope you're catching that that theme. And so she offers uh, the house. She calls from high places. She also offers help to the same person. She offers the same exact wording in verse 16. She appeals to the hungry. And she offers a false hope. It's a false hope. Verse 19. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Remember verse 6, leave your simple ways and live. You'll have life. Well, if you go to Folly's house, what do you get? Death. Doesn't seem like it at first. She has a meal. How would I die? She has expensive clothes. It seems like I'd be okay. The people that go in there die, man. They die. Maybe not right away, but eventually. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. You see that in verse 6. You leave your ways, your simple ways, and live because you walk in insight. What's the opposite of insight? Ignorance. Verse 18. He doesn't know that the dead are there. And this is very humbling. If you don't know that something is evil and wrong to do and you do it anyway, will you suffer the consequences? Yes. You don't know that this thing that you're taking would make you high. You thought it was a brownie. God isn't, doesn't wave a wand and like, well, you didn't know. You still suffer the consequences of it. Is that a little bit scary? You're walking down the street of life and you might fall into potholes. You didn't know were there. You didn't intentionally dive into the pothole. You just didn't know it was there. How can you know it's there? Listen to wisdom and stop walking after folly. That's how. God supplies you with what you need in general to know things. And that doesn't mean we'll never accidentally get into a situation. But if we're holding Lady Wisdom's hand and we live in her house, she will carve out a path for us and give us a kind of insight that allows us to walk dodging the potholes. But if we're not careful, we'll, we'll hold Lady Folly's hand instead and be led into all kinds of things that we don't even know about. These are the kinds of things that especially, I think the category in mind here are the things that scripture tell us are bad. Okay? Scripture tells us are bad. And you might say, well, I, I didn't know that thing was in the thing that I ate. I know, but why were you there? And if this is you, I'm not picking on you. I'm just, this is just what came to my mind. But I mean, in general, why were you there? Oh, I love that band. I love these people. I know, but that's not, that's not the wisdom crowd, see? And so it kind of makes sense that you ate that, even though you didn't know what was in that. Drank that, even though you didn't know what was in there. Instead of being around the kind of people who don't put that kind of stuff in stuff, right? So it's, it's not that you'll never have an accident. You'll never do something you, you, you didn't expect. But Proverbs speaks in generalities. 
and in general, when you make wise friends and you are surrounding yourself with wise people and wise counsel, and you're distancing yourself from the fools, you'll dodge a lot of the destructive things that the fools experience, and you'll experience the blessings that God reserves for those who live in wisdom. So you see verses 1 through 6, this call uh, from wisdom, and then in verses 13 to 18, this close but different counter call that is actually a counterfeit wisdom. Uh, if somebody gave you monopoly money, you would never try to spend it. It's when they give you a fake bill that was made to pass off like the real money, and monopoly money wasn't made to pass off like real money. You'd be another kind of level of simple if you took monopoly money and actually went to the store and try to pay for something. But counterfeit money is designed to look like the real deal even though it isn't. And that's what scripture's warning you about. It's not the obvious things. It's the things we convince ourselves are. Actually, I think this makes sense. Even if it's not biblical. So we need to be aware of, of this false counterfeit call that will dupe us if we're not careful. Wasn't it like this from the beginning? The serpent came alongside Eve and he wasn't like, everything he said to you is totally upside down. It is all these other opposite things. He kind of had like partial truth there and then welded it with a lie. And he took that partial truth and that partial truth became total lie, didn't it? And that's how the enemy works. He's not going to come alongside you and say, actually, instead of helping the old lady across the street, you should bludgeon her to death and take her purse. Most people would be like, no, I'm not doing that. that that's, that's not what this is about. This is about the actual temptations. Right? When Satan tempted Jesus, he wasn't like, actually, take all these stones make them levitate, and rain them down on people's heads. Then I'll give it to you. No, he's like, eat. Shouldn't you eat? You own everything. Doesn't it make sense to eat? Eating is good. Eating's not a sin. Right, but in that moment, it would have been. See? So Satan comes alongside, takes a little bit of truth, partial truth, makes it look like it. it's a meal, but instead of wine and bread, or bread and wine, it's water and bread, it's opposite, even though it looks close. I remember a couple different times, um, Tina's been asked for her rice recipe. Some of y'all know about Tina's rice. And sometimes, once in a while, somebody will take the recipe and go, yeah, 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 okay, ah, that part takes a lot of work. Grinding tomatoes by hand? Nah, I'll do uh, tomato sauce from a can. And then Tino will get a call. Rice kind of came out. It wasn't the same. Well, what did you do? I did this. Uh-huh. I did this. Uh-huh. Then tomato can. What? I have to pick Tina up off the floor. <laughs> Somehow, this has happened multiple times. Somehow in the person's mind, yeah, yeah. I mean, t tomatoes, fresh blended tomatoes, tomato in a can, similar. Now, some of y'all that cook, you're like, well, that's because you've gained wisdom over time. And you spend time in the kitchen, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I don't know enough about cooking. I f I'll follow a recipe to the T. I'll just measure it to the drop because I don't know what I'm doing. But I think 
that's the catch, right? It's when you start thinking like, I kind of know my way around the kitchen. You get a little cocky. You veer from the recipe. You start swapping things that shouldn't be swapped. And it's close. When you taste it, it's opposite. It's different. You can think of somebody who, sadly, I've, I've met people in life who divorced their spouse more than once. Have I heard the, the, the reasoning is I'm miserable in this marriage. God wants us to be happy. So therefore, God must not want me to be trapped in this marriage. God's design for life isn't to be trapped. God's design for life isn't to be uh, handcuffed to somebody you don't want to be with. And I'm not talking about like abuse situations. It's like a normal situation. I'm just sick of this guy or whatever. And the reasoning is worship. I'm worshiping God through this divorce. I mean, they didn't use those words, but isn't that what they're saying? God wants me to be happy and enjoy him. We were created to enjoy him, right? And I can't enjoy him if I'm in this miserable marriage. So logically, God wants me out. What's the problem there when you turn to scripture after scripture that shows us that God does not approve of divorce? Uh, divorce breaks a bond that represents his covenant faithfulness to us. I'm not going to get into exceptions and divorce as a sermon. I'm just pointing out the person's instinct to make divorce uh, about worship when really it's about comfort. And so the deal there is not the person who says, I know divorce is ugly and it's terrible, but I'm going to do it anyway. There are those people. But this is talking about the case where divorce is pitched to look like the right thing, the worshipful thing. See? I'll give you another example. Maybe somebody has wronged you and you have the opportunity to pay them back. You have the opportunity to get them back for what they did. Even if it's not total eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you're kind of like, I have this opportunity to pay this person back. And, you know, that's vengeance. And it might surprise you to learn, Scripture doesn't say vengeance is wrong. That person should get paid back. Should. I'm also tempted to enter a different sermon on just vengeance. I'm going to withhold myself. But God doesn't say vengeance is wrong. He says vengeance is mine. What would be wrong about you exacting revenge is you doing it, not it happening. God's like, give that to me. Wrath is my department. You pray for them, so hopefully they escape my wrath. So you pray for your enemies, you bless your enemies, so that hopefully they experience the grace that you experienced. But that doesn't make vengeance wrong. So you could see maybe a temptation where, hey, vengeance is not wrong. Scripture says eye for eye. Vengeance is right. Wrath is a godly attribute. All those things I just said are true. Close, but opposite when you take it into your own hands. One more example. I mean, there's so many we can come up with. The person who says, well, Jesus hung out with sinners. Have you heard this? Jesus hung out with sinners. And it's like, I, I, I hate this whole separation you don't, you're, you're not, the people aren't worthy to be with you because you're, you're a high, holy roller, you know. And so they use these sort of phrases to kind of um, paint you as a sort of an ugly beast who hates people. But really what they're saying is, 
I don't want to draw lines in the sand, tell people, ah, I don't watch those kind of movies. I don't do that. I don't go there. You know, I just go with them. You know why? Because Jesus went with them. No, you're being lazy. You're being foolish. And you're hanging out with foolish people. And uh, that foolishness probably started with you comparing yourself to Jesus. Jesus doesn't get tainted when he touches somebody. He doesn't get uncleanness. He cleans. He lifts leprosy from people. We don't have that power. We don't just walk around touching people like you're clean, you're healed, the demon's gone. I'm not Jesus. And so when we surround ourselves with people that their, their gravity becomes stronger, the more of them there are in our lives, we get pulled and sucked into the vacuum of conformity to the world. I think when, where people mess up is by saying Jesus hung out with sinners rather than saying Jesus ministered to sinners. And what I want to ask that person is, okay, all this hanging out with sinners you do, when's the last time you explained the gospel? Because Jesus was very clear about that stuff. And they sat there and drank every single word that dripped from his mouth. I doubt your uh, atheistic Christianity-hating friends are doing that. And if they are, that's amazing. That is amazing. And that happens. We are supposed to influence the world. But when we allow the world to influence us, and then guise it by saying, Jesus hung out with sinners. Is it true that Jesus hung out with sinners? Yes. Is what they're doing with that truth correct? Come on, man. No, right? No. He ministered to them. He changed them. He wasn't influenced by them. So, it's a partial truth, total lie. And they would have you believe that Jesus just... Didn't care what people did. I don't care what you do. I just love you. Like, read the Gospels. He rebuked. He taught. He corrected. Sitting with the woman at the well. You have five men in your life. They, they're like, Jesus was so kind to the woman at the well. That was like, a, you sleep around with five men, right? She's like, whoa, I can see you're a prophet. He's like, give me water. I mean, he was, uh, he was clear on right and wrong, truth, wisdom, and folly. I'm not saying he was rude to her, but he definitely didn't dance around her problems is what I'm saying. And that's, that's the key issue. When we look at something that's authentic and something that's counterfeit, we need to figure out what are some ways we could tell the difference. Do they do this anymore where they have the marker and they write the marker on the dollar bill to see if it changes color or is that old hat? Because counterfeit bills, they just keep getting more advanced, right? Hold up to the light. There's the strip. Now counterfeit people are putting strips in it. I don't know. Some of you maybe have bought things online. It comes in, you open the package, you're like, oh, this doesn't look like like. I don't know if anybody here buys Gucci products. I don't. Like, it looks like the logo, but it, you know, I don't think this is coach. It looks like it says coach. It's close. Something is a little off. It might be the packaging. It might be when you read the label, there's typos. You're like, this dude didn't know how to type. And it's on the official packaging of the, right? The logo is slightly crooked. The stitching is weird. Something, Something's off. It's close. That's the danger of buying online because there's, there's only so many pictures. Or they'll show you pictures of the real product, a fake product comes in, and they're just hoping you didn't, you didn't really notice it. Or then none of your friends notice it when you're wearing it or whatever the case may be. So 
you want to find ways to tell, right? And so if you're buying product, you might go, the, the one way to tell is this, did they nail that logo? It's got to be exactly the same. How do you tell the difference between the call of wisdom and the call of folly when folly looks so close to the real deal? And our marker or the strip that we're looking for when we hold it up to the light is not surprisingly in the call itself or in the wisdom or the folly itself. How to identify it? The true test, the litmus test, is whether you are willing to receive correction. Well, that test resides in you. And that's why we have this middle section in verses 7 through 12. What is the difference between listening to the call from verses 1 through 6, or oops, going with folly and listening to call in 13 to 18? And the question is simple. Can you take a review? When somebody corrects you, are you like, ah, I hate this person. Defriend, unlike, unsubscribe from you. Or do you go, man, thank you for pointing that out. That's the difference. That's the difference. The first person, that was the person who went to Folly's house. The second person is the person that went to Wisdom's house. Check it out. Whoever corrects a scoffer, verse 7, whoever corrects a scoffer, what is a scoffer? Somebody that makes fun of actual wisdom. You correct a scoffer, you get abuse. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. I, I, I think I have people in my life that really can't stand me. There's at least a, a, a few that I can think of, and I'm pretty sure when that happened was when I called them out on something. Just, I hate you. I mean, they don't say the words, but I hate you. And I, I'll tell you, in ministry, that happens often. Because that's what ministry is about. How could, how could you be a minister and you're like, oh, that's okay. I see this big problem, but I just want you to be a giver. Put money in the plate and I'll leave you alone. Like, that is a rotten minister, right? Might we suffer the same temptation as parents? Oh, I just rebuked him for these other three things. If I rebuke him for this fourth thing, he's just going to hate me. He's going to run away. Wisdom tells you, rebuke them for the fourth thing. Now, we don't have to be jerks about it. We have to be kind. We should also remind our children, I was you one time. <laughs> I wanted to do those things too. And I kept stepping in these potholes. I want you to avoid those potholes, son or daughter. I want you to have life and blessing. It's not my vying for control over you. I want to set you up. So there's a way to rebuke where you're not a jerk. At the end of the day, you can't, you can't slice it any different way. That is wrong. Stop doing that. That is not allowed. Or I need you to do this. This is the right thing to do. You must do this. And the reason why as parents we're tempted to lay off the gas is because we're scared our kids are going to hate us. Maybe there was a time where we hated our own parents and we're so scared of that person turning on us when we offer them rebuke that we'd rather just not do the rebuke. But wisdom offers the rebuke and that is the test. If the person is a fool, the person will bite back. Won't receive it like Proverbs 27, 6, which tells us the wounds of a friend are faithful. Do you hear me? 
the friends in your life, they'll cut you. But it's not hacking at you. It's a surgery cut. Oh, there's a tumor there. Let me get that. I still have trouble when somebody slaps me upside the head, and I'm like, what are you doing? Mosquito. I'm like, thank you. I hate you. I hate you, but thank you. But I don't know about slapping somebody upside the head, but you see something wrong and you want to help. That's a real friend. And the people in your life, you look back the last five years, the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you think they're your besties. They never once told you anything wrong. Is that really a friend? Read through the Proverbs. Get the profile on a friend. Wisdom rebukes. Wisdom corrects. Scoffers hate it. They hate it. Now, there are wrong rebukes. You're rebuked for wearing the color brown. I don't know. And you're like, oh, where's the scripture for that? I don't need a scripture. Okay, that person's probably a jerk. Well, someone comes alongside you and is like, hey, I see you flirting with this person. It seems flirtatious to me, and I think that's going to lead down a path. It wasn't flirtatious. It wasn't flirtatious. You're always trying to make stuff up. You're just mad at me because your marriage sucks. Don't be an idiot, right? The scoffer acts like that. What does the wise person do? Reprove a wise man, verse 8, and he will love you. That doesn't mean the wise person loves the rebuke. Oh, can you give me more? You haven't cut me on this side yet. But, but you recognize like, whoa, that was a tumor. I'm glad you got that out. Help, help stitch me up a little bit, man. That was painful. And, of course, you return the favor. That doesn't mean we go around looking for things to reprove all the time. But a wise person actually loves it. Why? Look, at he grows from it. Verse 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man. He will increase in learning. He continues to grow in it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. There's the theme verse of Proverbs smack in the middle of this sandwich. You see it there? You begin with fearing the Lord, but it doesn't stop there. You continue to grow. Your days are multiplied, verse 11. For my, by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. So here's the big difference maker, verse 12. If you are wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. It's your choice. Do you receive the rebuke of wisdom or do you hate it and just take the pass with wisdom or with folly? And that difference is something we need in Christ. Because as God came alongside Cain and told him, hey, sin wants to master you. That's God saying, folly is calling, Cain. You have to not listen to it. You have to master it and do the wise thing. Go to wisdom's house. I mean, you just use those words, but that's what's happening there. Cain didn't do it. He couldn't do it. We have a Savior who's not only forgiven us of past sins, but has given us empowerment. The wonderful privilege to walk by the Spirit in freedom and grow in insight and wisdom. Not just reveling in God's forgiveness for my past but allowing him to change me and continue to give me the insight and power to follow through on the insight going forward into the decisions in front of me. And one of the litmus tests to know that I'm stepping in the right direction is when I'm corrected biblically on something clear. I love that and I groan it. That person becomes a closer friend, not cut out from my life. So which one are you? If you're a believer in here this morning, you grow in learning how to be the wise person 
who loves godly reproof. Let's pray.